Yo, what is up, guys? Welcome back to Tag Team Pokemon Trading Card Games Premier Podcasting Duo. My name is Riley Holbert, joined as always by my good, good friend, Mister JW Crewall. JW, how's it going today? It's going really well, Riley. Just uh, another day in paradise. <laughs> another say. day in paradise. Yes, yes. How go. are you? I'm doing well, man. I huh? last night I decided to join the early sleep gang, so. I went to bed at like 8, 8.30, and I've been kind of high energy all day because I actually had time to sleep, which who knew that was a thing. It's crazy when you get seven, eight, nine hours of sleep. I've been going to bed as well at like 10, 10.30, 11, which is a little earlier than I normally do. I'm normally like a midnight kind of guy, but I'm making a concerted effort <laughs> to go to bed earlier. And also, I've just been feeling more tired earlier and i've just been caving normally i would just kind of push through that and try to get a second wind but (laughs) i've been caving to it and just falling asleep so you got to get your rest now because you know two months from now you won't ever get to have rest again yeah i keep hearing that and i'm like really worried about what that could mean because i am a pretty heavy sleeper so on the one hand i'm like you know, very defiant about it. Right. I'm like, Oh yeah, I'll be able to sleep through my child screaming in the middle of the night. (laughs) And then, and then on the other hand, I'm like, Oh man, yeah, I am going to have to wake up every two, two and a half hours in the middle of the night. You know, really it's just going to be mom who has to do all the work. I'm just there for emotional support, but, um, yeah. For legal reasons, that's a joke. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. If she's listening, right I think. Now. <laughs> I, I hope. I mean, there's certainly things that you have to do, but it's like you know, in terms of feeding, that's that's mama. That's true. That's true. So, well, I also got exciting stuff on the plate for the future that's gotten me in a good mood. So, uh, let it be known that unless something tragic happens with registration. Half of tag team is headed to EUIC. Yes, it's very exciting. I know. So made kind of a, a last minute ish call that we'd be going to Frankfurt. So me and some friends are are heading over. It'll be awesome. You caught the bug. Caught the bug. Yeah. I was watching Salt Lake and it's like I can't wait until May to play Pokemon for Indy. I need to play mm-hmm. Pokemon now. <laughs> and so I decided Germany was the next place that I could do it effectively. Yeah, I'm super jealous. I wish I could go. I haven't been to an international championship outside of the United States. And I think I've only been to, I think I've only been to one IC, (laughs) you know, quote unquote, uh, IC since they've been in Columbus. So it's it's something that I want to do at some point. And I was really excited pre-COVID, you know, to go over there for London, but I'll be I'll be stoked to get over there for uh, the world championships. Yeah, I I've done one other non-American IC. I went to the Latin America one in 2018, and that mm-hmm. was amazing. Uh, and now that I'm a little more financially stable than I was in 2018, 2019, I would kind of like to do at least one of the ICs that are not in America going forward. Probably won't be able to swing like the full grind every single year. Um, that's just a lot to ask for in terms of like PTO and, and even just like scheduling my life around that. But, you know, getting one fun experience a year, that sounds pretty dope. Yeah. And then also hitting up the, the regionals that are a little bit more reasonable to attend. 
yeah, uh, Salt Lake was certainly not that free. It is actually significantly <laughs> cheaper for me to book a flight to to Frankfurt than to Salt Lake City. <laughs> Isn't it funny how it works out like that? It's insane. It's actually insane. Oh, in my opinion, unacceptable. <laughs> but <laughs> but that's that's neither here nor there, I guess. So fun stuff ahead. But that all said, Salt Lake has happened and concluded. And we've got lots to talk about, JW. Yes. So Salt Lake City Regional Championship wrapped up last weekend. If you listened to us last week, you heard kind of our predictions for what the metagame would look like. And largely, it seems like that did shake out. But the biggest surprise was ultimately how the tournament ended up. You know, I think a lot of people were expecting Mew to to make it all the way to that top eight and even maybe even win the tournament. And that was not the case. The The finals was Drew Kennett versus Finnegan Lynch with the Arceus Gengar and Suicune Ludicolo decks, respectively, with Drew taking home the whole tournament. Congratulations to Drew Kennett for his second regional win. And I don't think that's what people were looking at as being the main tournament contenders when it came down no. to it. No, absolutely not. I mean... You know, Drew joins a very illustrious club of <laughs> uh, specifically people with two <laughs> regional winners. Yeah. Um, so congratulations to him. But yeah, if you look at the top two decks that kind of represent, you know, they, they, they might not be the biggest picture of the tournament, but they kind of represent what happened at the tournament. Absolutely. They were two curveballs. I think if you had told anyone before the tournament that Suicune would be in the top two or even the final four i think you might have gotten some odd looks or um you know maybe people would have said you're crazy or <laughs> you you know don't know what you're talking about but certainly suicune, <laughs> suicune yeah or you know please quit pokemon forever um <laughs> don't ever speak to me again <laughs> <laughs> but if you know, looking back on it, it's, it's a perfect example. And we talk about this a lot of play testing a deck that, you know, inside and out and then adjusting it to fit the, the metagame and then playing a deck that you're just super comfortable with in a big tournament. And Finnegan had a fantastic result doing just that. He absolutely did. Uh, Of course, wasn't able to to take home the gold, but still push super far with a deck that not a lot of people were expecting. And then on the flip side for drew coming up with this crazy, just, you, I don't know. You look at the list and when I first saw it, I was just, it, it was just so far from something that I think I would ever think of, but at the same time, it just happens to work and that's like kind of the cool thing about pokemon is that there's always going to be new ideas new innovators uh new combinations being thrown around one of the things that i really liked from his deck was obviously the hyper potion i mean that to me is a card that um you know moving forward is you really have to consider whether or not to put it in your arceus list like i think it's going to be um a pretty solid card for lists you know a lot of people were thinking, oh, yeah, Charon's Care is, is good, but obviously that takes up your supporter. So if you can get that similar effect from an item card, save your supporter for something else. I mean, that's a huge benefit. So Drew kind of found yeah. that that magic there, was able to harness that and ride that to a 
finals win, which is really, really cool. Props to him for finding that. Props to him for cutting out the Inteleon line from an Arceus deck, uh, just playing the Bibberol. Props to him for finding, um, you know, possibly, maybe in my opinion, like the best attacker in this metagame in Gengar and just slamming it into an Arceus deck and kind of fusing them together and making this new creation. I mean, there's a lot of things about the deck that kind of make you go, huh. But then in hindsight, it just all works. It's, it's really a beautiful thing. Amazing deck by Drew Bennett. Kind of, it is clear to see how that was able to kind of pull ahead and take home the win. So let's take a look then at, at kind of what the, what the structure of this episode is going to look like. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about from Salt Lake. Liverpool obviously coming up this weekend as well. So in the front half of the episode, we're going to talk about some of the going-ons from Salt Lake. We'll talk about how our friends and testing group performed and, and what they brought and why it was or was not successful. We'll talk about the infamous DQ from the top eight of this regional championship. And then after our card of the day and reads, we'll go into uh, some of the more interesting happenstances from Salt Lake, particularly what Muse performance looked like, and kind of bridge that into what that means for Liverpool. Let's do it. Let's freaking do it. So let's start off with kind of just talking about how the homies did down in Salt Lake. Uh, so for the uninitiated, Andrew Mahone, Kevin Baxter, and I, really went in the lab for about a week leading up to Salt Lake. I kind of wish that we had started more rigorously testing earlier. Um, hindsight's, of course, twenty twenty, But we ended up bringing a very straightforward Arceus Inteleon variant uh, with, you know, just standard, like, double chance care, four draw supporters. Uh, you had a pal pad to get your bosses and chance cares back. You know, nothing, like, really too shocking. There was really no no special sauce in the deck. The The logic being that, you know, if you play an Arceus Inteleon deck and you play it well, you're likely to outplay many of your opponents. You have an okay matchup versus Mew, and that should be enough to at least get you points, if not win the tournament. Uh, Kevin Baxter took that idea and somewhat modified it. He took out two cards for a 1-1 single strike mustard and beedrill combination, which ended up working very well for him. He also swapped... Uh, the energy and stadium counts to, to better accommodate the Beedrill. Um, you know, obviously swapping like, the water energies for grass energies, and, and he slapped in a training court to like pull off Beedrill combos more reliably. Um, in the end, Andrew had a, a rough showing after his third loss. He dropped from the tournament, uh, hit some, some tough matchups, didn't draw what he needed against Mew, had some misplays that can be very punishing in these Arceus decks. Um, <laughs> So he was not super satisfied with his outcome. Kevin took the deck to day two and struggled in day two. He ended up in the what I'll call the Mew zone. <laughs> the, yeah. the bottom half of day two, you're basically guaranteed to play a Mew every single round if you were there. It was crazy. So he played like five Mews in day two or something ridiculous. Maybe four Mews in day two, which was absolutely insane. And I think he went two and two against those Mews. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I don't know if the Beedrill pushed his matchups too far one way or the other, but <laughs> uh, we were happy to see Kevin in day two. And he's managed to squeeze in the top 64, you know. These large day twos, it, 
you know, it's easy to forget after years of not playing Pokemon, but you can have these large day twos and still whiff top 64. Uh, so Kevin managed to avoid that with some, some nice dubs over Mew over the course of the day. Yeah, absolutely. So it was a little bit of a disappointing finish I would say for, so. yeah. for the group. I mean, it was, it was just Kevin and just Andrew. So I think, you know, if, if I had gone or if, if Riley had gone, yeah, we would have done uh, so much know, better. We, we probably would have, you know, at least debated, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. We didn't go. We only have right. Kevin and Andrew's finishes. And so was it, I, I think, you know, we were talking a little bit before the cast, you know, kind of, were we on the right path? I think, yes. I think Arceus was the card to play for this tournament. I mean, obviously Mew is like very, very good, still very strong and, and will continue to be strong for uh, the foreseeable future. But I think Arceus is that card that I think you would gravitate towards, that I would gravitate towards and just trying yeah. to figure out the best list. Did we come up with the best list? I think maybe for straight Arceus you could make that argument but the problem was there wasn't enough in my opinion spice looking back on the deck that uh, that was brought so right. there was not a secondary attacker that had really any usefulness obviously Kevin had the the B drill which again okay you're you know, a hater not... if you don't think the B drill has usefulness <laughs> <laughs> but that there was no Zapdos there was no Galarian Moltres no Gengar, no Stonejourner, no no spice to kind of push it over the edge and give it that secondary attacker that I think Arceus really wants. I mean, you're never going to one-hit KO any of your opponent's Pokemon for the most part. Uh, you can sort of get there um, at times with different damage modifiers, but for the most part, you're not going to get there on Arceus alone in terms of doing uh, the one-hit KO damage. So I think moving forward, it's just finding the optimal Arceus partner for whatever tournament you happen to go to, you know, for this one, it was Gengar, but maybe yeah. in the future that could shift just depending on what you perceive the metagame to look like. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of that erupted where we got into almost like a circular effect with our testing where we found that like against many of these variants, you know, in Arceus Mirrors, like Arceus Italian was just the most consistent variant, right? So we wanted we wanted to have that consistency in the mirror. Um, I think what we may have lacked the foresight on, most especially, was the prevalence of Gengar in the later stages of the tournament. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what we had factored in Gengar pretty heavily. It was actually one of our top choices, in the days leading up to the tournament, you know, especially like looking at the, the Sunday and the Monday, Gengar was one of, if not our very top choice for the tournament. And we were kind of repelled by Gengar's lack, lack of consistency, at least the Houndoom version. And I, I would still stand by like, yeah, that can be kind of a, a troubling thing to have with your deck heading into the tournament. Although I, right. I do think Gengar with Houndoom, and we said this last week as well, has a phenomenally good, Arceus and Mew matchup if it manages to set up, which that's really the the sticker though, is does it do that? Um But I, I don't think we factored that in especially enough into our testing, and it led to us being probably like one or two steps behind. I was really interested in testing the the Zapdos in particular. I wanted to play right. Arceus and Teleon with Zapdos because we were testing a variant with Zapdos and Moltres. Just, just the Vs, not the basic. Um, and Zapdos was doing really, really well. 
the the step behind that I think we were, which Ian, Rob, and and Nick managed to solve was the cape was really really smart. It was a great addition to the Zapdos. It lets it survive the hit with a choice belt, even with a three basic energy Arceus, and that was just so so solid. And if you're able to set up a Zapdos like that, you really put a lot of pressure on your Arceus opponents, many of whom were not playing Dunsparce. So it's a free, like, four-prize attacker. Which, I mean, that's pretty smart, right? I don't think necessarily that you should slap in these uh, these texts like no. Sparse. No, and of course. You know, and I think into a blind metagame. I think there was, you know, a general understanding amongst the entire player base that, like, nobody would actually be playing Dunsparce at this tournament. Right. <laughs> that right. seemed to be, like, the prevailing thought that everyone <laughs> that I knew was kind of rolling with, which I would agree yeah. with. Like, yeah, why would you? You don't yeah. know what that's what fighting attackers are going to be. Plus, there's Mew, so like, why would there be fighting attackers? Right. Um, the Santa Conda deck also kind of preyed on that same thing, right? Because Santa Conda right. really is not like that good of a card, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Know, it's just a huge guy who Arceus can't respond to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Moltres or Zapdos with a cape is also a huge guy that Arceus can't respond to, and, and a little a bit basic. easier to set up, and <laughs> yeah. it has you know a little bit more utility in the early game, and so. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's certainly something to be said, and congratulations to Nick Moffat and Ian Robb for coming up with that combination, and unfortunately couldn't quite get it to the top, but uh, coming in at fourth and fifth, really, really good showings for their deck. Absolutely. So overall, our testing group result was kind of underwhelming. We start, we clocked in the testing a little bit late. Uh, you know, I think if there's one I, thing that we've been consistent in, in recommending in Tag Team is be thorough in your testing and yeah. And if you test a lot, you will get that success. One thing that I think going forward, and I didn't do as much testing as, as you guys did, but uh, just kind of perceived uh, from, you know, a little bit on the sidelines was just, I don't think that there was enough experimentation with the lists um, really at any point. I mean, yeah. the Arceus deck was certainly one where you could just go crazy with it, you know, because Arceus, I think, brings a very unique element that we haven't really seen before in the Starbirth ability where, you know, if you're dead drawing early, you can get out of it or you can play these weird one of texts like the Zapdos and the Cape of Toughness. You could just pull it out of nowhere kind of whenever you need it. So I think there could have been a little bit more room to just go a little bit crazier, you know, kind of try more things out, especially building around Arceus. I think the the other kind of side element within that is like not every deck, not every Arceus deck even needs to play like a four three Arceus, mm-hmm. um, and we mm-hmm. saw that with you know Drew Kenneth's list played like four two, uh, the the Ian Rob and Nick Moffat list played two two, um, and like those slots are super valuable in an Arceus deck. Those like two to three to four slots com- completely change like what your deck looks like, um, right just in themselves and you know getting too caught up in like yeah arceus is the fattest biggest two prize attacker which it is uh but it also kind of like self caps in a way sure absolutely so i'm really looking forward to to kind of like how liverpool continues to innovate on that i'm sure the limitless folks will cook up something spicy for us um but we before we jump too deep into that we have to talk about the dq we absolutely do. It seems like we're back to normal, like officially now. <laughs> we have our first big scandal, DQ yeah. scandal event that happened at a major event. And so um, this one, 
pretty unfortunate because it has to deal with marked sleeves, marked cards. And so for those that maybe are newer to the game, um, one of the ways that you can cheat is that you can, you know, scuff certain sleeves or uh, put little indents on the sleeves or in some way mark the sleeves so that you have a better idea you know you know what those are right or or or, um you you have a better idea of what them what they are um and so there was a controversy in salt lake city surrounding a player andrew munoz playing a an arceus gengar build uh kind of ironically um arguably you know the best deck for this tournament and had some problems with these marked sleeves now there is some debate because it is a technique of of you know potential cheating i don't want to say he did cheat but like you know the record might show that that he did um <laughs> but you know to be diplomatic about it there yeah. is some kind of discrepancy because it it comes down to, you know, whether or not a judge believes you to be cheating as opposed to say stacking, right? If, if they catch you on camera, not moving the top card of your shuffle, you're going to get DQ'd, right? Um, But that's not necessarily, there's a little bit more of a gray area because you could say, Oh, I just got that wear and tear on my cards from shuffling or I, you know, had, had was eating something and some crumbs got on the card or, you know, there's, there's some ways you could explain away the damage that could potentially happen to sleeves. So, um, you know, Riley, when you hear a story like this, what do you think had to happen for the judges to DQ Andrew Munoz? Yeah. And certainly like, you know, people's experiences differ but generally, when you're looking for a marked card scenario, this will happen like during your deck check for top eight. Uh, they'll go through your deck. They'll make sure the list matches first and foremost. And then they'll take a look at the backs of the cards and, and make sure that things are in order. Uh, and some wear and tear is expected, right? You're expecting to see like some amount of variability in how the sleeves are worn and torn. And usually, if that's the case, you'll just ask this for the sleeve to be replaced. And that'll be that. Um the problem is when there is a level of consistency in the way that certain cards are worn. Um, and if they notice something like this, what they'll usually do, uh, and I don't want to speak for what specifically happened in Salt Lake, but what they'll usually do is they'll start to like shuffle those cards up and try and pick the one that they have noticed or the multiple that they have noticed out of a stack. And if they're able to reliably do that, they'll usually pull in a second opinion, ask them to do the same thing. And if that's corroborated, then that's like definitely a marked card scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and so allegedly, in a, I don't want to speak 100% on facts, but allegedly in Salt Lake City, that was the case with the double turbo energies and, a, and another handful of cards. And what makes that a red flag from a judge's perspective is, hey, you know, these aren't like a random selection of cards that we're pulling. These are the double turbo energies, you know, the essential like turn two part of your engine or even turn one part of your engine. If you're trying to Trinity charge, that's a big deal. If you can draw those in a timely fashion, uh, you actually really need to draw them in a timely fashion. They don't mean a lot. If you're drawing them at like at the end of the game, you need to get them mm-hmm. in the specific portion of the game that they're important. Um, so that's troubling. And if that situation is corroborated, that's 
significant grounds to assume that there is foul play involved. Uh, so the judges took the action that they believe was appropriate and disqualified the player in question. Uh, and if and you know, they have no reason to necessarily believe that there wasn't foul play involved because of the consistency in both being able to draw those cards out of the deck as well as the consistency of like the way that pattern appeared. You know, if it was mm-hmm. specifically targeted at unique combo pieces that's troubling right right that that's usually a big thing too is just where you see like which cards you see if it's if it's a seemingly random assortment or like you said cards that are you know maybe better in the late game or better in the early game or you know that mix like then there's maybe some more discrepancy that they can have on the part of the judge, right? Because again, it is kind of a value judgment at a certain point for these DQs. But, um, you know, I was talking to Riley before the cast as well on this and saying, you know, you hear these things and you hear the player try to defend themselves. um, But who, you know, just be careful who you believe in these situations, right? Are you going to believe a player you know, who got DQ'd, who's like, oh, no, it, you know, it was it was all random and I didn't do anything. But you got to think about their motivation for, first of all, doing, you know, the marking of the sleeves, right? They they want to win the tournament, right? So, like, it's obviously in their best interest <laughs> to cheat, like, right? Like, right. like if, if you want to win and your opponent is not cheating, like, then you're going to be better off cheating. It's the major league baseball situation, right? Yeah. Like do as much as you can without being noticed. And that's going to be better <laughs> than your opponent. Who's not doing anything to, to Tactic you know, does not endorse advantage. cheating. Right. Exactly. Um, and then further, it's going to be to their advantage or like, it, it's going to, I don't know. They're, they're going to want to save face afterwards. Right. So of course they're going to try to give their best, version of the story oh it was you know random cards you know it was, it was eight random cards from the deck i don't know what they saw you know the the sleeves were were worn down after you know a long day it's like okay that's that's you probably you know maybe you didn't cheat maybe not like not intentionally because that can happen i'm not saying that you know because sleeves can wear down over the course of an event and maybe all four double turbo wore down at the exact same spot over the course of the event. And like, you know, only God knows, but who would you believe somebody that has motivation to save face and win the tournament or, you know, a handful of, of judges that are just trying to keep the integrity of the event in place. Yeah. And I have two kind of tangential thoughts. The first is the judges have, literally no incentive they don't want to dq the player going into top eight that looks bad for the event you know that is and that's and that's why they do regular deck checks throughout the day right because they don't want to get to the final round or the top eight and say oh yeah actually we missed a guy you know we should have caught this rounds before right like right that's why they do these these deck checks and the fact it was a disqualification like they genuinely believe that that was the best thing for the integrity of the tournament, right? They they didn't think it was a mistake. Um, and, you know, that says a lot in of itself is, like, there's actually motivation for the judge to have never found it, like, not needed to find a DQ, rather, because uh, they want the top eight to be good and successful because <laughs> that is what they want. They want the event to be successful. And the second tangential thought I have, kind of related, 
is I don't want to, there was a lot of like, you know, swirl in the comment section of people like outwardly supporting this person. And like, if you genuinely believe that, like that is fine. But, you know, like JW said, like be careful be like thoughtful and like the way that you place that support. Like don't just blindly listen to the person who's talking to you because they do have the incentive to, to not only cheat, but to make sure that you think that they're not cheating. Um, and what I really don't want to happen. And I feel like this does happen is I don't want to create like the players versus the judge mentality, right? Like I don't want people to think the judges are out to get you. They're not. I can personally say that, I've had phenomenally positive experiences with the Pokemon judging community. They're a really kind, caring group mm-hmm. of people who want to see Pokemon played to its highest level in the most competitive fashion possible. So to create the mentality like, oh, like the judges are out to get us. They're just going to DQ you for random stupid crap. Like that is not the intent of the judge. That is not the intent of the way these tournaments are being ran. And it's a really unhealthy mindset to carry forward. And it's the wrong thing to take away. Even if someone was wrongfully DQ'd, that is the wrong takeaway from that happening. Yeah, that's a really good point. I've had great experiences with judges that have dinged me on certain things, you know. And again, I can say with, you know, 10 years plus of experience that they're there to do what they feel like is best for the tournament best for the core principles of the game, the spirit of the game. Really, that's that's very much uh, harped on in any you know professor seminar um, or, or just the way that they think about the game is just upholding integrity, upholding the core values of Pokemon. And like you said, they're not going to be out to get. I get this question a lot actually about people are like, how do I avoid you know getting in trouble with judges? And it's, I mean, you know, don't cheat, that, <laughs> play honest and play clean like yeah exactly exactly so (laughs) they're not out to get you and this was um just an an unfortunate event because you know you are kind of dealing with you know a a player saying oh well you know i didn't cheat it was just these sleeves are kind of shoddy and and they they you know failed me at the at the wrong time and and you know that that's just it you want to believe them right like i i do i want to show grace and and believe and um, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt, but you also have the case made by the judges that says, yeah, we're, we're, we can't allow this to continue. Like we, we literally cannot have you continue playing in this tournament if we feel like, um, you were cheating, which they clearly did. And my thought as well, is kind of like capstone this is, you know, if you really weren't cheating, you prove it, like do all well the next event, like don't. You don't need to make a haughty post on Facebook about how you're not sorry. Uh, just prove it. Like, do well without cheating. <laughs> and if you cheat again, you'll get banned. And it's that simple. Well, possibly. Possibly. If you get DQ'd again, you're definitely getting banned, for sure. You think so? I don't know. I, I think so, yeah. For like a mark, maybe. I don't know. It, if again, you're marking cards, the, like... We don't know the specifics, right? So we sure. don't know, like... We don't know like how obvious it was because it's a judgment call, right? So it could have just been just been in the gray zone, right? Or it could have been sure. Well, I, you know obvious. what I'm more so you know, saying it's... is like if you continue to cheat, like you'll get banned eventually. Yes. Like yes. or you'll continue to get DQ'd because like you'll have eyes on you now as right. someone who's been DQ'd. Well, that's definitely like, that's definitely a thing. For why sure. not? If you 
are not sorry. You don't announce that you're not sorry. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just play in the next event and don't cheat at it. That's Absolutely. what I would do. <laughs> well, you're cut from a different cloth, Riley. I'm I'm cut from the cloth that doesn't cheat. That's my my thought. <laughs> so catch me like not saying that I'm not sorry for cheating. <laughs> I don't know. Is that a hot take? Maybe it's a hot take. Only our viewers, tag teamers, understand can can decide. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Well, Javier, I think that's a perfect time to hit up our card of the day then. Absolutely. What do you say? Let's get into it. Let's freaking get into it, dude. And today I got a absolute banger of a card for you, JW. Are you okay. ready for this one? Is it Yeah, can you me guess too. it? <laughs> no, it's not me too. Dang it. Okay. I'm gonna give you a Pokedex entry uh-huh. and I need you to guess it. So, hiding in people's shadows at night, it absorbs their heat. The chill it causes makes the victims shake. Absorbs their heat? Can I get like a type? It's not, I mean, it's ghost no. probably. Yeah, it's a ghost type. Is it Gengar? It's Gengar, yeah. Let's go! Yeah, so in commemoration of Gengar's phenomenal showing at the Salt Lake City Regional Championship, I decided I would choose a Gengar card for this week. And this Gengar card has really sick art. It's just a generally cool card. And you'll Is see. Is it the Japanese promo? No. Uh, <laughs> that is a cool I card. I saw though. that today. I was like, oh, it's wow. A, it's a stage two Gengar. You know, it's, okay. a, it's stage two cool Gengar. And it's the Gengar from Breakthrough. Uh, this Gengar has two attacks. First one, Sinister Fog. You poison the active and put one damage counter on all your opponent's bench. So kind of just like a spread attack. And the second attack is kind of the meat and potatoes of this card for one psychic and one colorless creep show. If your opponent's active has three or more damage counters, it's instantly knocked out. Mm. That's it's such a cool card. It was part of, I, I think it was in the night striker theme deck as well, which is like the first, first theme deck that I had. Um, at least since I was like a child who collected. Yeah. And the art on it is really, really cool and interesting. It's got like a very, uh, I don't I don't know how like very stylistic like cartoony look to it. I don't know how to describe maybe you can help me like describe it, but it's got very like bold lines, very like h- high end shading, like there's a lot of contrast in the card even with like its individual shades. It looks awesome. It's like I love that kind of art style. The effect on it is really cool. People tried to make this card work in so many different contexts <laughs> over the time that it was legal. Never got it to quite happen, but it was always really cool when you got to say creep show for knockout. It's kind of like a like a graffiti artist. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like. It's like a graffiti kind of look to it. Yeah. Um yeah, with the very bold lines, very tight shading. It's it's just a really cool card. If you're ever looking for like some card to build some crazy combo around and expand it that involves spread. You got to always consider your creep show Gengar as like a finisher. Absolutely. So shout out to Gengar for being the MVP of the Salt Lake city regional championship and shout out to creep show Gengar for just being sick. Absolutely. Sounds (laughs) good. Speaking of being sick, that might be possibly the worst transition. (laughs) I think that was a bad one. (laughs) Okay, speaking of 
um being I don't cool know, what's, I don't know. being cool speaking of uh having your tongue out <laughs> um yeah speaking we're, of we're trying cool, <laughs> i know we are trying we're new to this um but we uh we here at tag team have a sponsor and we are in fact presented by our sponsor manscaped thank you so much manscaped for sponsoring the tag team podcast we use their stuff all the time just the other day i was like wow i am so thankful that we get to partner with manscaped because i get a really cool ear and nose hair trimmer that i get to use to make myself look fresh and if you're trying to look fresh for your next big tournament you know you're going to be out in public soon you got to make sure you take care of any stray hairs Check out our code at manscaped.com. That's tag team manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping. Riley, what has been your experience with these products? The Manscaped products have been sincerely amazing. Uh, if you're a longtime listener of the cast, you know I will plug every single time. Their underwear is ridiculously comfortable, but all of their products are so easy to use and leave a nice clean shave without any nicks. Uh, you know, in my experience, I've yet to have any sort of hack and slashing done with any of my Manscaped products, and it leaves my special areas feeling nice and clean, uh, in addition to all the awesome stuff they have for your entire body, like their body wash and their shampoo and conditioner. I'm imagining you flying to EUIC with your Manscaped boxers on. Oh, they will be on, for sure, <laughs> for a flight like that gotta have the manscape boxers on i'm not even kidding <laughs> and the cool thing is for fans of celebrations there is another ultra premium collection that you can acquire and it is the yes. manscaped variety this comes with all sorts of self-care products you don't want to miss out on this like jw said you can use code tag team at checkout for 20 percent off and free shipping they yeah, have something that every I know I got my box the other day. It's pretty cool. They have something that every Pokemon TCG player needs. And uh, you can also tell your friends if they don't <laughs> own one of these. Uh, it's called deodorant and Manscaped <laughs> now produces their own deodorant. So I uh, highly recommend it has a very fresh scent. And that comes in the premium collection. That is a Pokemon tournament staple. So I'll tell you what closing words here. Definitely check out Manscaped because you know the one thing that's worse than being DQ'd from a tournament is being the guy who smells bad at a tournament. And Manscaped will be keeping you fresh. Amen, brother. <laughs> so speaking of tournaments, we got Liverpool coming up, man. And I think the big question hanging over everyone's mind is what the heck happened to Mew in Salt Lake yes. City? Zero Mews in the top eight of this tournament. What is going on? Well, it's a little disingenuous to say, you know, where is Mew? You know, there were none in the top eight. It didn't even bubble. It's a little disingenuous because if you think about okay, hater. the entirety of day two and you look at the breakdowns, Mew was the most well-represented deck. And if you look at just the snapshot of top eight, and there's a lot of different factors that go into top eight. So, you know, were a lot of decks countering Mew that were in top eight? Absolutely, right? Did that play into why Mew did not make top eight? Absolutely. But were there possibly other factors, you know, just 
random draws or Muse getting paired up against Muse and kind of self-cannibalizing. You know, those there's a lot of just different random things that go into making uh, a top eight. So to say, you know, one extreme would be Muse dead, you know, Muse sucks. Uh, and then the other extreme, you know, would be like, uh, you know, Muse the best deck in format. But, you know, there is some resistance to that now. And I, I think we're seeing that from uh, from the Americans, uh, you know, performance as opposed to like the Australian regional, where it's just pretty much dominated by Mew and uh, and Arceus were getting a little bit more experimental. But yeah, looking at the entirety of the day two landscape, 32 Mews out of about 70 players making up just over 40% of the day two field. So pretty, like still very impressive for arguably still the best deck in format. Yeah, I mean, Mew definitely did show up. It's, like you said, disingenuous to say that Mew didn't show up at all. And there's a very funny image of, like, the the bottom half of day two. And it's just, like, Mew, 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 one other deck, Mew, 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 over and over and over again. Um, so Mew was there, and it was showing up in spades. And, and like you said, like, there was a lot of heavy Mew hate in the top eight, especially. You know, you look mm-hmm. at, you look at, like, the top 16 – and there were four Gengar decks, five Gengar decks, uh, in addition to all the decks that played Galarian Moltres and all the decks that played Malamar VMAX. Like, there was definitely some anti-Mew sentiments going on towards the top of the bracket. And I also think it is valuable to call it, like, yeah, the Mews probably self-cannibalized themselves. Like, every time a Mew won a Mirror, a Mew lost as well. And that made that Mew less likely to make top eight. Um, so there's a lot, a lot of swirl going on. I do think Mew is still easily a top deck in this metagame, although I'm almost inclined to say that Arceus might be the best deck in the metagame. Mm-hmm. And just because of the versatility it provides, uh, and the because of that versatility, it's a little bit harder to counter. Right. I, I think Mew is a little straightforward in its build. You know, there's a couple different ways you can play Mew, but ultimately they all boil down fundamentally the same. And and that lets people come up with strategies against it. For example, like pretty much no Mew plays hand disruption of any sort. So you can always kind of count on your combos being available throughout the course of the game. You know, that's largely how Suicune wins against Mew is you build up these large combos uh, because you know that your hand will continue to build and grow over the course of the game. Um, Mew also is pretty vulnerable to like hitting for weakness and single prize matchups. You know, that Galarian Moltres is really tough for me to deal with, especially right. twice in a game. And, right. And, you know, there's a lot of decks that are kind of using that over and over again. I also think Mew is a, I, I don't know exactly. Maybe I want to say the Mew is a high skill floor or low skill floor, high skill ceiling deck, ceiling deck. So you can get mm-hmm. to like 90% efficiency with Mew without trying very hard but you need to be really good to squeeze out that last 10 percent, and that last 10 percent is what makes you top eight and wins you regionals right right we saw mew uh be piloted to a 10th place finish by uh, caleb gedemer so uh, it certainly had kind of the chops to be among the best but yeah. i think what was to come out of this this tournament was that um there were you know there was the the best deck from brisbane which was you know, Mew, I mean, won the tournament, had four placements in the top eight. And then you have everyone playing the counter to the best deck here. So Gengar, be it Drew's deck, that was Arceus Gengar, or, you know, straight single strike Gengar with Houndoom, um, or 
Arceus with Moltres and baby Moltres, uh, baby Galarian Moltres. And like, those were all the counter decks to Mew. And those did really well at Salt Lake because there was no like counter to that counter. Right. You know, and there was no, there's a heck of a lot of Mew for them to feed on. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I think as we head into another tournament beyond this, I mean, it stands to reason that there would be kind of the next evolution would be maybe Arceus with a bit more fighting and then maybe give Mew a little bit more of an opportunity to kind of rise back up and take higher placements. Cause we're certainly seeing Mew still dominant in online tournaments. Yeah. It's, it's not gone anywhere. You know, it didn't go to top eight, but it was certainly all over the place in Salt Lake. So that begs the question then JW what is Liverpool going to look like? You know, kind of a re- quick recap on our top five in terms of popularity from last yeah. week is we predicted Mew at number one, then Arceus, then Gengar, then Jolteon, then Malamar. Do we think something similar will happen in Liverpool or will there be kind of an evolution or shift there? I do feel like your statement earlier is a really good indication that Mew will see still some very significant play from the general player base. It's really uh, just a strong deck, just like base. You could misplay a ton and still sneak out wins. You know, it's like, it's really just so, so strong. Um, So I think a a lot of players will gravitate towards that. Um, But like you said, that high skill ceiling, I feel like a lot of the better players, and I said this heading into Salt Lake City, mind you, I said, I felt like a lot of the better players would gravitate more towards Arceus. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then we saw, you know, a lot of notable players gravitate towards Arceus and do very well with it. So, um, you know, I, I do feel like that'll be the trend, but it'll be a change in what Arceus, Arceus gets paired with. I feel like um, we brought up earlier, you know, how much you liked Nick Moffitt's and Ian Robb's just straight counter box Arceus deck. And I feel like that will be a little bit more of the trend to have that. Um, dark type attacker for the Mew matchup, but also try to sprinkle in some more fighting to try to handle the Gengars yeah. of the world. Yeah, I mean, I would not be surprised to see that kind of shift um, or, you know, it, at least having some sort of alternate fighting attacker to, to go with your Arceus, if nothing else. you know, Right, like play, you know, take out all the dark and fighting and maybe just focus more on the fighting now that i'll be honest that would have been my choice heading into salt lake city i was really on and and my uh, twitch chat knows and my discord uh people know that i was i was telling them like i'd probably choose arceus with a fighting type um, because that's kind of the one step farther you know we have the base format in a vacuum mu is probably the best deck and then you have um you know you have your kind of counter to that which would be you know arceus uh, and then a little bit farther, Arceus Gengar, and then whatever counters Arceus Gengar is kind of the next step in this kind of meta development. Yeah, and I I definitely am kind of thinking the same thing. Like an Arceus with a focus on a fighting attacker seems like a good choice into Liverpool. You know, I, I hate to make statements of definity, um, but that's something I would highly consider at this snapshot in time. It, you know, mm-hmm. I was even thinking like going back to like the Lycanroc V Max or the the Santa Cana V Max and pairing that with like an Inteleon or a Bidoof engine, um, seeing how that works out. You know, right? 
I actually think the Lycanroc VMAX is, like, not a bad card, but... <laughs> well, and, I mean, you have the groundwork, right? Like, we saw Drew can, yeah, can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Right? You just, you take Arceus, you slap it with your favorite VMAX, probably not going to do too bad, so now it's just picking the color of VMAX that you're going to play. Yeah, absolutely. And the barrel certainly a, a valuable inclusion in those decks as well. Uh, makes things like churning through your deck for Hyper Potion much easier. It's just generally a smooth engine to run. Uh, so I, I like that a lot. I mean, the Inteleon variant as well. I, I like, you know, just slamming a bunch of ball cards in your deck as well. Inteleon yeah. variant's more space heavy, which I, I think ultimately played to the Drew's favor for the, the Gengar version because he could fit things like the multiple Hyper Potion more easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was also a little bit more able to control the pace of the game by, you know, timely um, uh, collapse stadiums. Right, yeah. because the the Intellion variants are going to need that real wide bench. You know, you're going to want two, three sobbles down. Um, you know, over the course of the game. So being able to control the bench is, is obviously very huge um, against that type of deck as well. Absolutely. So, and also, I mean, ultimately, the Collapse Stadium was a huge factor in his finals. Yeah, know? which is crazy. Yeah, it's it's so fun when you have because I don't know. It I, it struck me. It was really funny when Drew was doing his final rundown his final interview and he talked about very specifically the very specific play of collapse stadium marnie and he talked about that like it was like the best play you know ever <laughs> ever conceived in this format and i'm like wow that's so interesting like hey i invented that play <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair enough no no but there's like there's something interesting there um, where he's kind of recognizing that a lot of these decks want these hyper wide benches. You know, they, they just do. want to fill it up with Sobbles. They want to fill it up with Houndowers. They want to fill it up with, you know, their Ludicolo lines, their, I don't know, their Genesex, obviously. Their, you know, whatever you can think of. Like all of these decks really want the five bench spots to go th- towards something useful. And, being able to play a deck that doesn't necessarily need those five slots on the bench was, was really big. It's just, it's, it's so like, the more I think about the list, the more I'm like, wow, that's a cool idea. Wow. That's a cool idea. Like I never would have thought of that. I never would have thought of that. Yeah. And it just, again, a testament to the, to the deck builder for coming up with something so unique that really challenges the way that I think about building decks from now on in this format. And I think one thing of note within that as well is the Arceus variants that played dark attackers, namely they had like quick answers to Mew, be it Gengar or Moltres or whatever. They had a little more agency to play stadiums like Collapsed or Training Court. Uh, Whereas I felt like other Arceus variants were very much pigeonholed. You know, you think of the the Arceus Inteleon Barrel or the Arceus Inteleon decks that our group was playing. Um, they were much more pigeonholed into kind of like forcing the path issue uh, mm-hmm. because they needed that out against Mew. Whereas if you play a deck that you know has a Gengar, you can play the collapsed a lot more liberally against Mew because you not only does that disrupt their strategy by itself, but you know that you're going to have like responses for Mews that right. other decks might not be able to as easily afford. Mm-hmm. absolutely so i thought that was like kind of an interesting uh dynamic so to speak is that the fact that he played gengar also allowed him to leverage collapsed a little bit more easily 
where do you feel like the metagame is headed? You kind of said, okay, yeah, I think, you know, fighting, but, you know, going forward, like, do you, do you think that it'll stay kind of static for, for Liverpool and beyond? Or like, what are your thoughts here in terms of like the next best deck or the next, you know, uh, innovation for the format? Yeah. I mean, Historically, Europe has not been overtly influenced by the American metagame very much. You know, they typically have their own kind of way of playing that they want to execute on. So I expect I expect them to lean hard into their own Arceus variants over in the EU. And I expect Arceus to kind of be like the premier deck for the top players in Europe, even more so than it was in the States. Um, you know, I would I would. If I had to wager a guess, I would say the top players in Europe will, will all play Arceus variants. Or they'll have like some crazy Mew variant that like nobody could have predicted. <laughs> It'll be like Mew Control or something, you know? <laughs> like like, alright, you got me there, type stuff. Um That's kind of my thought, is it'll be very Arceus heavy. And, you know, as a consequence for that, they'll probably be co- planning for Arceus mirrors. Whether that means that they have like a weakness hitter in uh, fighting type or they have kind of denial for that with Dunsparce and Charon's Care and going for really heavy draw strat like you know heavy Bibarel and Inteleon type stuff that's kind of where I see the metagame evolving is you know very Arceus centralized and as a consequence for that I think if fighting hits like just the right sweet spot then Jolteon is actually super good against Arceus decks that don't have an immediate answer to a Jolteon mm-hmm. so I actually think Jolteon is like in kind of an okay spot right now it just depends on how much fighting grows i think it can deal with a zapdos because zapdos can be passed to the peaked but the uh you know if you're playing like santa Conas and stuff jolteon doesn't really want to see that guy <laughs> right yeah for sure yeah it is interesting jolteon seems like it's in a decent spot i mean malamar seems fine like still, malamar continues you know? to be like fine i just don't think a lot of people will play it yeah i i would agree with you on that so yeah it'll be really really cool to see what happens in liverpool it'd be very very cool to see what happens at euic are you gonna get started on your testing now in a week yeah i'm planning to start this week yeah okay all right well hit me up for sure man for sure ready to grind some freaking games and we'll tell you about the going ons here on tag team absolutely and you know what jw if they want to hear updates between listening to this and the next episode where can they check us out they can find us on twitter at tag team pokemon for the podcast at real john walter for my own personal twitter and then for riley's twitter at smiles with riles that's right you can also catch us live every single week we record the podcast on my twitch channel twitch.tv slash munner and JW also streams regularly on twitch.tv slash FlexDaddyRighteous. You can also check him out on YouTube at FlexDaddy. We appreciate all your listenership so, so much. It means the world. We're only able to do what we do because of the support that you all provide. With that, we'll wrap up for this week. And good luck to all the tag teamers out there in Liverpool. Absolutely. Yeah, best of luck, you guys. And Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. Peace. See ya.